ones who forsake the fountain of living water and run away and dig cisterns for ourselves that cannot hold water. My prayer is that we would find the fountain of living water deeply, endlessly satisfying and fascinating. And Lord, that we would live here uh, before the fountain of living water, just guzzling your goodness, God, I pray. Lord, I pray that we would never be satisfied. Lord, that that our that the, the depths of who we are would continue to thirst for you more and more all the time forever. Uh, you are the only, the only pleasure of which we cannot get enough. Lord, you are the only pleasure that does not turn sour from taking in too much. Lord, you are the only pleasure which does not steal from us, but gives to us, instructs us, builds us up, and makes us better and not worse. Lord, and I pray that we would pursue you, Lord, with uh, unstoppable passion in Jesus' name. Lord, I just, I love the, the this word that's bouncing around in my head right now, indefatigable. <laughs> I just pray for that to just sit over us, that that's, we would be indefatigable. Lord, that we would be, it would be impossible to weary us in the pursuit of you in Jesus' name. Amen. I, I'm endlessly fascinated by uh, uh, vocabulary. I love new words. I love uh, the English language. Um and uh, somebody said something the other day that really made me think a little bit. They said, Your, the language that you were taught as a child was a gift given to you. And I had never thought of it that way. He said, he said it, it, it wasn't yours. It belongs to the community in which you exist. And language and the ability to communicate is the gift that the community has given to you so that you can be a part of the community. Is that interesting or what? I was just like, ooh, ooh, that's good. I love that. And as a church, as a church, we should have language. We should have language that we are giving to one another that makes that makes us all a part of the same community, that we would be able to say uh, to, to, that we would have phrases and ideas and 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 inside jokes and 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 you know things that 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 carry words and and uh, phrases that carry much more meaning than the actual words that are within them. Does this make sense? Okay, you guys know how inside jokes work. You're living in community right now. You probably have a million inside jokes. You could just say one word and everybody would be like, ah, you know. It's like uh, I think of the. I think of the movie Perfect. Saving Private Ryan. Have you ever seen that movie, Saving Private Ryan? Awesome movie. Amazing movie. There is a there's a word in that movie which I'm not going to fully explain because it's inappropriate, but but that everybody uses, and and they hold this word fubar. They hold this word away from someone who is in their midst but not yet a part of their community, and they're around him using this word to speak to one another. But they don't explain to him what the word means. And he asks them, what is, what, what's Fubar? What's in it? And they, oh, it's German, they say. They tell him it's German, which he that. speaks fluent German and he doesn't know. He's like, I've never heard that word. So he goes and he looks through his German dictionary. Later on, somebody uses it again. He's like, you know, what? I looked through my German dictionary and uh, 
I didn't, I didn't find that word. And they're, and they're just like, oh, well, I, yeah, yeah, it's in there somewhere. It's just slang or something, you know. And, and, and so language is a part of community. And so as a church, in order to create a community, in order to create culture, we need to be in a constant, we need to be doing two things. One, we need to be creating language that includes people. And purposefully, intentionally watching the language we are creating and using to make sure that that language is inviting to people who are not yet a part of our community and clear to everyone that's in our community and is not carrying baggage that gives false messages to our community. Okay, for instance... I just read an article about uh, that said we should stop using the word missionary. There was a whole bunch of reasons about it. But the basic idea was that this word missionary carries a a, a level of baggage with it, a level of, of meaning and understanding that just comes with the word. When you think missionary, what do you think? Someone in Africa. Sure. Africa. What do you think of, like, when I think missionary instantly, I am transported to my seven-year-old self sitting through an incredibly boring slideshow uh, at church, you know, just like, and here's the building where we do that, where we don't care, you know, and I'm just like, I just want to get out of here. Inst- I mean, all that stuff. Okay, so there's this whole, like, there's this whole, like, baggage around this word, and so they were arguing for rem- not using that word anymore, but for using a different word to say the same thing, but it's a different word. And, and the reason that they were arguing is that word carries an amount of baggage. It has, has other meanings attached to it that we don't want to be attached to it. Okay? As a preacher, I am constantly looking, always looking for new ways to say the same thing. Especially in a church environment. I've grown up in a church environment, and I know that there are words in church environments that carry ugly baggage, like this one, small groups. Okay? I think small groups are absolutely vital and necessary to the function of a church, especially in this age, but I hate that phrase, small groups. Because everyone that I know of, carries this idea of what a small group should be like, and it's n- and that idea looks nothing like what I want a small group to be like. And so that means that the whole time I'm creating a small group, I have to be const- I have to be fighting against the pattern that's already in your head of what a small group should look like. So I am I am walking into a battle right from the beginning. That's why when I was youth pastor at this church, we didn't call them small groups. We did at first, but we stopped calling them small groups. And we started calling them huddles, which they're still called, I believe, to this day by Pastor Phil. And it made a whole different, it was a whole different word picture. Because now, baggage isn't always bad. There's a bit, there's, there are things connected to the word huddle as well. 
When you think of huddle, there's things connected to that. It's everybody kind of arms in, head in. It's a strategy moment. It's a moment we're all reconnecting and then we're going to go back out and we're going to accomplish something together, right? It's a, There's that picture of a togetherness and a connectedness. And, and I want that in that case, I'm using baggage to help. Are you with me on this? I don't know why I'm talking about this. I really don't. Just ended up here. But anyway. So we need to be creating language. Oh, we started with indefatigable, which means impossible to be made tired. It has the word fatigue in it. Okay? Indefatigable. Okay? I can't. It's impossible. You are, you have no weariness or tiredness in you. You are indefatigable. And, and there are things in the human life that create an indefatigability, okay, which make it, you know, that, that put us, that drive us, that keep us awake. When I was a, uh, when, when Rachel was pregnant with uh, our first son, I woke up at like two o'clock in the morning and my wife's not in bed with me. So I get up and I'm worried that she's sick because she was sick a lot. You know, it's early pregnancy and she's sitting in, she's sitting at our kitchen table with an, like a whole meal in front of her. And I was like, are you okay? She said, I was too hungry to sleep. Right? And I was just like, well, I haven't. And I was just, and I actually got struck. The Holy Spirit just kind of went, boom. And he says, when's the last time you were so hungry for me you couldn't sleep? And I was just like, ah, you jerk, you know. <laughs> but it just hit me, okay, that it's like, no, my desire for God is too great. I can't sit. I can't rest. I can't sleep. I can't just be okay with where I'm at. I can't close my Bible. I've got to be after him. That's what I'm asking for. When I ask God to make me indefatigable, that's what I'm asking for. Endless pursuit. Okay, so let's go to Romans chapter 5. Let's try, try and complete this chapter this week. This is our third week in Romans chapter 5. And it's enough because Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8 are even more possibly packed than this one. We may never get through them all. Okay, so where did we end? Um, let's see. I think we ended. Does anybody know where we ended? <laughs> well, thanks. Wow, that's that's, that's so helpful. I really I appreciate it. Yeah, we are. I, well, I know we did verse 5 and 6, and I know we did verse 7. I think. All right, we'll just start with verse 12. I don't think we're that far, but we'll just skip a little bit and start there, because that's where a whole new idea begins. Romans 5, verse 12. Lord, help us. Therefore, just as though a man through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin was not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who was a type of him who is to come. Okay, there's a whole lot in there, and I'm going to unpack it for you. Okay, here's what's going on. We are talking about the gospel. We are talking about what happened when Jesus died on the cross, and we are talking about what happens when faith apprehends that which Jesus did on the cross. 
Okay, And he says, look, what you need to understand is that what Jesus did on the cross is in some ways similar to what happened when Adam took the bite of the forbidden fruit. Okay, And he says, look, through Adam, this one man, sin and death entered the world. And it didn't just touch Adam. It touched every human being from Adam onward. What Adam did was open a door that he could not close. And he gave permission that he could not rescind. Okay? He said, Satan, here you go. You now get to mess with my entire, all of my children afterwards. That's what happened through Adam. Okay? And, And then he kind of pivots. And he says, I know that I said, because earlier he had said that where there is no law, then, then sin is not imputed. But he says, but I know that sin was, but sin was still in the world because di- people died from Adam all the way until Moses when the law was actually given by Moses. That When the law was given by Moses, then we knew what sin looked like down to the smallest, most granular level. Okay, We understood what the actions that were sinful. He's saying, but... The truth is sin was still in existence from Adam till, until Moses, even when we didn't know exactly what sin looked like, because people were dying all during that time. And people who did not die until Adam sinned. No one was going to die. Death came into the world, and it affected the whole world, even from Mo- Adam until Moses. The law itself did not create sin. It just it uncovered it. Okay, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam. In other words, we knew about this one sin. There was only one sin we actually knew about for sure, and it was eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There weren't any laws given by God after that until Moses. But regardless, people were still sinning, and even though no one else ate from the fruit— because they couldn't get into the Garden of Eden, there was still constant sin going on from that moment until Moses, and people were dying, and that's the way it is. So don't use your ignorance of the law as an excuse to say you you are sinless. I've actually heard people say, this is ridiculous, but I've heard people say, well, we shouldn't, and they're basing this on some things that Paul said, like that, that, you know, the law actually makes sin worse, which is true, okay? Because the sin within us takes advantage of our knowledge of the law and makes sin worse, okay? And I've heard people say, based on that, that we shouldn't teach kids about the law. Right? <laughs> right? Oh, no, we shouldn't. And you'll hear this, and, and you'll hear this in Christian circles, and you hear this in non-Christian circles. In the daycare that's in this building right now, up until a certain age, you are not allowed to tell a child that what they're doing is bad. It affects their self-esteem. All you're allowed to do is redirect. Hey, why don't we go do this now? I don't think that's a very good idea. Why don't we go over here and do this instead? I remember a TV show where these two parents went and, and they were being told this kind of crap from some, you know, idiot person who thinks they know how to parent children and they really don't. Well, really, we should avoid where it's like bad and no and and 
you know, those kind of things. And we should change our language. Instead of no parking, maybe we should say park elsewhere. Okay. And then they get home and the kid has this broom and he's like knocking vases off of the, off of the, uh, like mantle with the broom and, and the parents are trying with everything inside of them to tell him not to do that without telling him not to do that. And one of them is like broom elsewhere. Because it's like you idiots. No. Okay. What? Yeah. It's, it's foolish. This idea that if we just don't name sin, it stops being sin is ridiculous. It still causes death. It's still, the vase is getting broken. Whether you say, don't put the broom there or broom elsewhere, the vase still gets broken. Okay. It's sin is sin people. And Paul's trying to get back to talk about how the free gift of salvation, but Paul is always, <laughs> I, I really feel like Paul had ADD a little bit. Um, over and over and over again in the in the epistles. He was a genius. There's no question he was a genius. But over and over again in the epistles, he'll get started with something and then he'll get he'll go down this rabbit trail for chapters sometimes and then come back to where he started. And as you read the epistles, that's why it is helpful sometimes to read a whole epistle at one sitting. Because then you'll be like, oh my gosh. Now he's going back to what he was talking about in chapter three and you're in chapter nine. <laughs> and you're like, oh, I can't, I see. This was all a sidebar. And then these two things should be put together. And the only way you can do that, you can't do that when we're doing a study like this, which is verse by verse. You, that only way you can see those kind of big arcs through scripture is when you read the whole thing at once. So I recommend both. Sin entered the world through Adam. Okay, I already talked about that. Sin made, all right. Verse 15. But the free gift, now, back to talking about the free gift. The free gift is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression of one, the many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. Okay, here's what happened. Death came into your world because Adam sinned one sin. Okay? And when it came into your world, it didn't stay one sin, did it? You're not, and there's nobody in this room that is going to hell because of what Adam did. Even if everyone in this room was not saved, and I'm hoping everyone in this room is saved, but if everyone in this room was not saved, you still would not be going to hell just because of what Adam did. You will have heaped a whole bunch of stuff on top of it by now. Am I wrong? Every single person in this room, there is nobody that was in danger of going to hell based on what early Christian fathers called original sin. It just didn't happen. The truth is, every single person sins every single day. That's just the way it is. And so we have earned our ticket to hell quite on, come by it quite honestly. We've earned it, thoroughly earned it. And what Paul is saying here is the reason the gift isn't like the original transgression, though both come through one man, if all Jesus did was cancel out Adam's sin, we would still be screwed. You agree? 
If, if that's all that happened, if all Jesus' death did was go back and forgive Adam for eating the forbidden fruit, then we would still be screwed because we have our own sin to contend with. There's a whole bunch of people in the Christian world that want to do away with this idea of original sin, and I have to admit, I'm not as excited. I'm not excited about the idea, to be honest with you. I believe the. I, I agree that the Bible says that sin entered my life because of what Adam did. That's the truth. But I don't necessarily think it has nearly as much to do with. I don't think I. I, I you know. I, and that original sin says I still carry the guilt of Adam, and I have a problem with that. Now, what I do think is that Adam opened a door. And then when that door was opened and permission was given by our first father to Satan over the human race, that from that point forward, Satan was given unhindered access to the human race forever. Okay, Satan and his demons. And we were born off. Okay, we were born with a genetic predisposition to sin. You were born that way. I was born that way. We were born with a genetic predisposition to operate according to the forbidden fruit, not according to the tree of life. That's just what happened. And because of that, sin has dominated our, our race. For all these thousands of years. And it sucks. That's true. And I have, and everybody else, in, you know, between Adam and us has have all just made the problem worse. Adam opened the door. We have continually made the door wider and wider and wider. There was only one time in human history where God, through divine action, brought that door back down to a smaller size, and it was called the flood. Because God knew if he continued to let human, the human race go on as he had, they had gone on, the human race would destroy itself before Jesus came to save us. So God said, no, I'm done. And he wipes out the, the most of the human race. There was also that whole Nephilim thing with the, you know, the corrupting of the genes and blah, 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 blah. But he wipes out the whole human race except for one family who had faith. And he starts all over again because he knows if this continues forward, guess what? The human race is going to cease to exist. The Bible says that at the time of Noah, every thought of every human on the earth was always evil all the time. <laughs> it was not cool, man. I mean, there was bad stuff going on. It was like the alternative uh, hill valley where Biff is ruling the world. In, in, in Back to the Future 2. That's what it was like. Are you with me? Anybody know? Anybody know what I'm talking about? <clears throat> where, where Biff is, you know, like, okay, are you with me on that? Okay. That's what it was like, all right? It was terrible. And George McFly was murdered, and Doc Brown's been thrown into the insane asylum. I mean, all the good things, all the good things about the world are now bad. Are you with me? Come on, people. Back to the Future Wow, I'm sorry. No, 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 no. Biff, Biff Tannen. And cheese. 
Biff Tanner. Disney movies. The Greater Biff. The Great. <laughs> okay. All right. What? Hasn't seen Back to the Future, two. Have you not seen Back to the Future? Oh my gosh! It's movie night. Back to the Future two, one of the worst films of all time. <laughs> What? It is not a good film. I mean, let's just be honest. Michael J. Fox plays his own daughter. It's weird. Okay. Dad, Dad, is that you? Okay. It was very weird. Anyway. I do too. I do too. Brilliant film. So good. So good. Yes. He can be forgiven for Teen Wolf. He really can. We can forgive him. Okay, let's keep moving. Teen Wolf was terrible. Yes, it was so bad. Oh wait, no. Are you talking about the movie or the TV show? Both. Uh-uh. I'm gonna need you to go. I never seen. How can I have run across a manic Teen Wolf fan? Okay. All right. All right. All right, so you can see that Jesus' gift is greater because Jesus' gift not only takes care of the original sin, but Jesus' gift comes and actually pays for every person's sin individually as well. So it doesn't just begin righteousness for us, it accomplishes righteousness for us. Oh, that somebody needs to hear that today. The, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ did not just begin righteousness for you. It accomplished righteousness for you. You are made righteous because of the gift of righteousness given to you by the work of Jesus on the cross. Now, when I say the work of Jesus on the cross, I am always and ever including the resurrection from the dead. Because righteousness doesn't come to you from his death. Righteousness comes to you from his resurrection. But we can go back and talk about that some other time. The Jesus' death and resurrection accomplished your righteousness. It, it filled you with righteousness. It made you as righteous as Christ through faith by grace. Just happened. It was that beautiful thing, justification. Just as if I never sinned. It's this unbelievable reality that took place. You were made sinless, guiltless, before the beautiful God by this one thing that Jesus did. And that guiltlessness, that innocence, goes all the way back to your beginning and all the way through to your end. Okay, Every sin you've ever committed, every sin you will ever commit, all forgiven at one time, by the cross of Jesus Christ. Understand. Now, there is justification, which is that. You have no sin in you before God. All your sin died. That is just, that is so great. Have you ever just thought about it for a minute? I am this dirty, rotten scoundrel. And 
We need, we need to use the word scoundrel enough. We need to use it more. I, I Such a beautiful word. I'm this dirty, rotten scoundrel. It's the truth. What's that? Rapscallion. Rapscallion. That's a little too piratey for me. What's <laughs> um, that thing? Rapscallion? No, oh, yes. Too piratey. Too piratey? Oh, there is a thing. There was a day when things could not be too piratey. That day is over. Okay, we, we, don't, we don't need... Another Pirates of the Caribbean movie. No, I, no, I, don't. I don't know. The new one looks pretty sweet. No, it doesn't. It looks like another, yet another rehash of the same story again for the fifth time. Okay, it looks like the first I've seen the trailer. The trailer looks cool, but it's the same story again. It's the same story again. That's true. That doesn't mean I'm not going to see it. I'm just not going to shell out a bunch of money to go see it in the theater. I'm just going to wait and I'll see it on Blu-ray. And I'll watch it and I'll just be like, you know. Saw movies had an ongoing plot, though. Anyway. I think there's seven. It's ridiculous. Johnny Depp is a genius. Okay? He's a genius because... He's able to just make the same movie over and over again, and everyone keeps coming to see it. <laughs> it's just, you know, wait a minute. What if someone is mad at Jack and comes looking for him again? What do you think? What do you think about that? Well, that was the plot of the first four movies before this, Johnny. I know, but it worked. So why don't we do it again? Yes. They should call it, they should call it, Pirates of the Caribbean 5, The Search for More Money. That's what they should call it. Anyway. I know he's never been nominated for an Oscar. He should have been, though. He should have been. I mean, there's a couple movies where he really should have been. But, no, see, Leonardo DiCaprio should have gotten an Oscar for what's he being Gilbert Craig. Not, I mean, Johnny Depp was was good, but he wasn't amazing in that movie. There's other movies he, that he was amazing in. Anyway, we're just getting, we're getting off. Okay. So, verse 16, the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For on the one hand, the judgment arose from one transgression resulting in condemnation. He's basically just repeating himself again. Verse 17, we're almost done with the chapter. Fantastic. Four, if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more those who received the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Do you understand this? Okay. This is the smallest part of what Jesus did was take care of the sin problem. Okay. And that's a very large thing. But the forgiveness of sin is... And the well, let's walk through. Let's walk through some, some of the pieces of what Jesus did on the cross and with his resurrection. Okay, he forgave you of your sin, so your great unpayable debt paid. Okay, he rescued you from hell. That's what that means. That means you will not live in eternal torment forever and ever and ever. That all by itself should be the greatest news anybody has ever heard. 
you were destined for eternal pain and torment. That you were destined for it because you chose it. You went for it. You exchanged the glory of God for a created thing, for the image of a created thing. You didn't even own a created thing. You exchanged the glory of God for the image of a created thing, which means you have devalued the glory of God. And in order for God to maintain the existence of the universe, he has to make your life pay back the debt of the glory and the worth which has been undervalued. This is, it's, I like to use pictures, okay? Because what we do when we sin, we, we, we exchange the glory of God for something worthless. It's what we do over and over again. But even more diluted than that, when we, when we exchange the glory, glory of God for anything, okay, that means we choose anything over God, we empty the thing that we chose of all of the reasons why we chose it. Because when you have pleasure in a thing, in a person, in an act, in a reality, when you choose something because it's good, sex, drugs, uh, pride, uh, a, a relationship with a person, a uh, your own your own sense of self-worth, whatever those things, you choose those things because in some way, shape, or form, they make you feel good. That's enjoyable, desirable to you. What you don't understand is the thing that makes whatever it is you're choosing desirable is the glory of God behind that thing, shining through it. Okay? So imagine you go to the store and you see, I love Snickers bars, you see a Snickers bar, okay, and you're hungry. And you know from commercials, Snickers really satisfy. So you buy the Snickers bar because you're hungry and you don't want to be hungry anymore and you know it's going to taste good. And you take the thing off, you notice after you've paid for it that it's extremely light. So you open it and realize there's nothing inside the wrapper. Okay? This is an upsetting moment. Because you just paid however much money, far too much money, for a wrapper. So now not only are you out the money that you paid, and you're not going to get it back. Okay? That money's gone. Right? But now the reason you spent the money I'm sorry, it's not going to be satisfied. So what is the only way? The only way to fix your problem? Exactly. You have to spend the money again. You can go in and demand a refund all day. They're just going to go, yeah, whatever. You opened it, you ate it, and now you're bringing me the wrapper back. Okay? They're not going to, they're not going to refund your money unless you opened it in front of them and, you know, like, and from closed wrapper to open wrapper, they see there's nothing there. If you walk out and then you open it, they're going to be like, sorry. That, that scenario didn't pass in my head. You know, I, I mean, know there's no way. I demand a refund. I demand a refund. They're going to be like, no. Sorry. But there wasn't anything in there. Well, how do I know that? Maybe you just ate it. Maybe you just handed it to somebody else and you're bringing me the thing back. Sorry. See ya. They're not going to give you your money back. And they're not going to give you another Snickers bar. The only way to get the Snickers bar you desired is to buy it again. 
That money is gone. Okay, but in our scenario, here's what happens. God comes, all right, and he gives you the money back and he gives you your Snickers bar. That's what happened. Okay, what when we choose anything that is delightful to us? Think about Adam and Eve and the forbidden fruit. Satan sold them a story, okay? He said to them, here's the deal. See, problem is God doesn't want you to have this because it's just too good for you. What he want, he doesn't want you to have knowledge. He doesn't want you to live forever. And he doesn't want you to be like God. He just doesn't want those things for you. Now, here's the deal. Adam and Eve had those three things already. You understand? They were already like God. He made them that way. They had any knowledge that they wanted. They could have just asked him for it. And they were not going to die because they had never sinned. They had everything that Satan was offering them. They already had. But in order to obtain these things which seemed good to them, yes, they are good, and you already have them, but you know, but in order to obtain these things which seemed good to them, they reached out, they took hold of the forbidden fruit, and they ate it. And what did they do in the process of reaching and eating? What happened? They lost everything they had been reaching for. They had all those things in the, to begin with. But when they reached out and took it of their own free will and made a decision to give themselves to Satan, they lost everything they were, that, that they wanted. Because now how do we live? Do we have knowledge? No. The Apostle Paul says that we, in this world we see as through a glass darkly. We don't have knowledge. Are we anything like God? No, we are much less like God than Adam and Eve were. And are we living forever? No. Through that act, they released death into the world. They literally did the exact opposite of what they were trying to accomplish, which is what happens every time we sin. We spend our life to buy something and find it gives us nothing but what we've lost. Are you with me on this? Everybody in the room? Are you here? Okay. The only way. Okay, that's just, that's, that's sin measured on the human level. But let's go to sin measured on the cosmic level. Because this is, okay, that's the human level. We give away some, we give away the only thing we have in order, because we want what we already have, and we get back only the loss of what we already had. That's all we get back. We get back nothing. Less than nothing. We end up having less than when we started. Okay? That's, that's human level. Now let's look at it from the cosmic level. Human beings bear the image of the glory of God, and they are given the glory of God to enjoy, explore, and reflect. The glory of God is that which is of highest value. I just heard a sermon by John Piper the other day, and he said it like this, and it blew my mind. Oh, you know what? I'm going to pull it up because I actually have it written down. Blew my mind right out of my head. God is God, and the universe, by comparison with God's greatness, beauty, and worth, is insignificant.
Let me read it again. God is God, and the universe, by comparison with God's greatness, beauty, and worth, is insignificant. And he says, if you want a verse, here it is. Isaiah 40, verse 15. Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as the dust on the scales. In other words, the universe and every created thing in it, including all seven billion people created to inhabit the earth, is like dust in the scale on one side, and God is like Mount Everest on the scales on the other side. And virtually everything in the Bible, until we understand that, virtually everything in the Bible will be distorted, and we won't see it in its proper proportion and relation. Are you with me on this? The worth of God is Mount Everest. The universe is a speck of dust. That's what we're talking about. You just traded Mount Everest for less than a speck of dust. When we choose to have sex outside of marriage, you choose a momentary, most likely destructive event, which is going to feel good for a little bit. You chose that over the worth of God, which is greater than the universe. Any other comparison that I can think of, and I always try and think of what is the thing that is like worth more than anything else that you can trade for nothing. And I always try to I try and find things that are, it's like, it, it would be like taking your, your, I don't know, who's, who's the person, your mother, let's talk about your mom, maybe you hate your mom, let's talk about your mom, whichever one of your parents you love the most, okay, take that person, and you walk into the store one day, and you see in front of you, what's something that's completely worthless, I don't know, a stick of gum. Jersey Shore on DVD. Let's just, let's go with, let's go with a stick of gum, and it's, it's old gum. It's disgusting gum. Just think of gum you don't like, okay? Okay? A stick of 90-year-old Big Red sitting on the counter, and you say to the guy behind the counter, I will give you my parent who I love more than anything in the world. I will give them to you forever for that stick of gum. That's, that is nothing in comparison to the trade that you have made a thousand times but we aren't alert to it. We aren't aware of it because we've been fooled, because, because we believed the line of the enemy. And the only way to get your mother or your father back, you give them the stick of gum, they're not going to give you your parent back. The only way to get them back is to give them yourself. And that's what is happening. The truth is that my life, it, eternal torment, is not enough to atone for the trade that I have made. Because the worth of God is far greater than my, than my worth. So God did what only God could do, and he gave his own glory in exchange back. Are you with me? The shockingness of sin should 
plague your brain. So Jesus on the cross did that. He brought zero. He brought a zero balance to that unbelievable equation. No longer are you guilty. You are not guilty anymore. Somebody just, just raise your hands and say, I'm not guilty anymore. Oh, do you actually believe it? And if you believed it, I can't imagine what would life be like with no shame whatsoever. What would life be like? What would life be like to honestly believe every minute of every day, I am innocent? We'd probably say, I'm innocent, so I can screw up a few times, I'm not going to feel bad. Stupid! Don't you ever, do you ever see a field of snow no one's walked across? And you're like, no one walked across. But then there's that un, undeniable like itch inside of you to just go mess it up. Okay, right? And then you, you, you mourn the loss of that beautiful whiteness, like just, you know, but at the same time you're like, that's right, I screwed it up. And then you like pee your name in the snow. I'm just kidding. I've never actually done that part. <laughs> no. I have. That is a lot of pee. Wow. Yeah, I was like, that's a lot. I don't know. I could just do my first name. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway. All right. So. All right. So the sin of, sin of Adam was a singular sin, but the death of Jesus on the cross eliminates billions of sins over billions of lives. That's why the death of Jesus is so much greater than the sin of Adam. Okay, And Jesus has opened the door for life where Adam opened the door for death. That is the only way in which they can be connected to one another. Adam opened the door for death. Jesus opens the door for life. Once again, that's beautiful. But that's not all that Jesus did on the cross. It goes beyond that. Not only did Jesus bring you to a zero sum where you have no longer committed any sin, but Jesus has also made you righteous. So he has added to your wealth. Not only has he forgiven your debt, but he's made you wealthy. Okay, push beyond the, the zero sum game of all oh, my sins are gone. That's great. But no, he's gone further than that. He has made you righteous. He's made you like himself. He has pushed through and he has created righteousness for you. And you are now the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That is who we are. That's what we carry. Everywhere that we go, everything that we do, we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That is, our, that is the definition of me. That is nearly impossible for a human being to hear and believe, but it is true. When we have faith in Christ, we are not just given forgiveness of our sins, but we are given, gifted, imputed righteousness. But wait, there's more. You should already be like drooling, okay? Because... What I've just told you is unthinkable. Once we get an understanding for the worth of God, 
Just the forgiveness of sin all by itself is an equation that has infinity signs in it. It's not, it's beyond a human brain to comprehend. Okay, and, that, and yet it's happened to you, to me, it's real. And yet beyond that, okay, justification means just as if I never sinned. You've been declared innocent. But there's more than that. Sanctification. Sanctification means you're made righteous. Now you're being made righteous in two ways. You, from the moment you're justified, have been gifted the righteousness of Christ Jesus. That is a heavenly reality from day one. You've been not only declared innocent, you've been declared righteous. Made righteous by Jesus. You carry his righteousness on you. But then, from that point forward, there is something that we use the term sanctification. I wish we didn't. A lot of the places in Scripture where the English, where the Greek is translated as sanctification, are are uh, past tense, as if they've already happened. But then there's this other thing that that the Bible talks about, which we have termed sanctification, which is different than what Jesus did for you when you lived when 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 you had faith and you were joined with him on the cross and you were made innocent and righteous okay and this is we also call this sanctification i don't want you to get confused so you know we need to come up with another term i like to call it being washed with water of the word or the renewal of the mind okay because those are two things that the apostle paul calls it and that is the day by day continued growth forward into the actual character and likeness of Jesus Christ, which will not be completed until we are resurrected from the dead. Okay? Your spirit, this might help, okay? This is how I picture it in my own head. My spirit, when I was born, was already dead. Dead. Was dead. Or at least as dead as a spirit can be. My soul, or you're, you're, you're all aware of our triune nature, correct? This is one of the ways that we are in the image of God and that we are three in one. Just as he is three in one, we are body. That's this stuff that you can touch. Okay. Soul, which is your mind, your will, and your emotions. Okay. And that goes deeper than consciousness. Okay. Because, but your consciousness is a part of your soul. everybody with me right now this is a little philosophical but it's it's you need to understand it okay so there's your body your physicality there is your soul your mind your will and your emotions that is what you're thinking what you're feeling it is the part of us which we are the most aware of i i don't and maybe this is different i am much more aware of my inner life than i am of my outer life that's just me. I don't know that everybody's there, but I just am. I'm more aware of what's going on in here than what's going on out here. Which is why I can be reading a book or watching a movie or something and people can be standing right next to me going, Josh, 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 and I would not even hear them. Because I'm caught up in my inner life, okay? I'm caught up in my, all right, which is that inner life that I'm aware of. That's my soul. That is my soul, okay? And then 
There is the innermost part of you, your spirit. Your spirit is the breath of God, which he gave you. It is what makes you a multidimensional being. I love to think about this because we exist in the three heavens. Okay. We've talked about this, haven't we? I thought we have. We exist in three heavens. Okay. We exist in this earth. We exist in the angelic realm and we exist in the realm of God. We exist in all three places simultaneously. Okay. Those are the three heavens, by the way. There is the earthly heaven, which is the air and space over our heads. There is the angelic realm, which is another dimension beyond ours, which is mostly invisible, although it can become visible at times. That is where angels and demons exist and are fighting. And then there is another dimension beyond that, which is the realm where God exists. And we exist in all three. The human being exists in all three. To, to our knowledge... Angels do not exist in the God realm. They may, but we don't know that. Yes? No. <laughs> I think heaven exists in a simultaneous... Uh, it's like the upside down, except a lot nicer. Are you with me on that? Okay, it exists... In the same, I I, okay, I, I think it exists in, and that's what I'm talking about when I say a parallel dimension, okay? The angelic realm is like that also. The angelic realm is a parallel dimension to ours. It, you can go places in, like when you walk around, you're walking around in the angelic realm. It exists parallel to our dimension. I believe heaven is the same way. I believe heaven exists parallel to ours also. I don't think it's some far off place. I think it's here. That's why when we say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What we're doing is we are unlocking power from the God dimension to flow through the angelic dimension, through our physical beings into this dimension and cause things to take place. That's what we're doing. That's why we pray. We are pushing through the dimensional barriers through, through faith and bringing things from the God dimension into the human dimension. Is that insane? But it's true. That's what we're doing. We're effectively reaching into the upside down and bringing things through. That's what we're doing. Okay. Now, thankfully, <coughs> the God dimension is a lot nicer than the, uh, than the upside down. But, and is it possible for us to understand? For instance, if you, are in, if you existed as a fourth dimensional being, you could, you could turn a basketball inside out without breaking it. Okay, that's just mathematically provable. Kind of like talking about dimensions. Yeah, exactly. It's impossible to understand, but it's true. It's just like, uh, uh, okay, but that's where that's where we exist. That's where angels and demons exist. Anyway, so I like to think it, it if we do parallel. Okay, our bodies, our physicality, our soul is is our minor will and emotions. Okay, I believe our soul is what exists in the angelic realm. Okay, the second heaven. Part of us that exists in the seven he second heaven is our soul. Okay? And the part of us that exists in the God dimension is our spirit. And we were blocked off from that part of us. But when we had faith, and faith is this beautiful thing. Faith somehow, somehow, is it's the bridge. It's the crossing of the dimensions. And I don't know how that works, but it does. Faith has this ability to bring things out of the invisible into the visible. When you hear the Bible talking about that, you need to be thinking about the dimensional idea, because that's what it is. 
when the Bible talks about the invisible and the visible, it's not talking about stuff like air, which is just invisible, but it's there. It's talking about stuff that is on the other side of a dimensional divide from us, and we can access it and bring it through by faith only. Do you imagine reaching in? And I've seen things like the gold flakes and stuff like that. Have you guys seen that kind of stuff? Okay. That is material from one of these other dimensions being manifested in the physical dimension. This is what's happening. Okay. And I don't know how or why it happens. I just know it happens. Okay. But that's what's going on. We need to get connected with that reality. So you exist in those three dimensions. Okay. And what happens is when you believed your connection to the part of you that exists in the God dimension, your spirit, is made alive again. The Holy Spirit actually comes and goes, fuses with your spirit and brings life back to your spirit, which it no longer had. Your connection to the God dimension is opened again. Okay? The connection you had when you were created that Adam had all along that he cut off when he sinned. He closed the door to the God dimension when he sinned. Are you following me? Or have we gone totally sci-fi for everybody and it's like totally, you know, are you with me right now? I am using, please understand that I am using non-biblical language to describe biblical realities. Because you guys don't know the biblical language, so I'm trying to use language you'll understand. Okay? Plus, I don't know the Greek words. The English words are translations made by people that that could have been, when it talks about the invisible in the Greek, we could have translated that same word as other dimensional because that's what it means. Okay, that's, we get we got to get clear to this kind of stuff. The English words are not the Bible. Okay, the Greek words are the Bible, and we need to get back and understand that what's important is what the original Greek word meant, not what the English word that's been translated from the Greek means, which is why it doesn't matter which Bible translation you read as long as you're investigating what the original language meant. All right, I'm just totally going off in the... Okay, so... <laughs> so yes, I'm using non-biblical language, but I think it's necessary. So, you exist in those three dimensions. When you were born again, the part of you that exists in the God dimension was reawakened. It was made alive again, and it was connected again to the rest of you. It was connected again to, your, to the part of you that exists in the angelic realm, that soulish part of you. It was connected again to that soulish part of you, and it was connected again to your physicality, to, to your body, to that which exists in these three dimensions. Are you with me right now? Okay? And here's what happened. In the God dimension, your spirit was made perfectly righteous and, and resurrected. Your spirit will never be resurrected again. Your spirit was resurrected the moment you believed in Christ. Resurrection happened to that part of you. And now, since that moment resurrection power has been leaking through by grace through faith into your soul into your soul and into your body 
Whenever you have a physical sensation of the presence of God, it is resurrection power by the Holy Spirit moving through the dimensions into your physicality. Are you with me on this? You're following me. Okay? That's what's happening. You are sensing the presence of God by your spirit because the Holy Spirit is touching your spirit in the God dimension. And possibly in the soulless dimension as well. That happens sometimes. That happens a lot, actually. What's going on? But any interaction that God has with your soul comes through your spirit via the, the connection that your spirit has with the Holy Spirit. So resurrection began, your personal resurrection began in your spirit, in that part of you that's in the God dimension, began when you believed in Christ. Your spirit, the most eternal part of you, the part of you that exists in the highest level, the most important part of you, that which makes you human. Animals do not exist in that dimension. Understand. That does not mean they will not be in the in the in you know future manifestations of because understand what is going to happen is the influence of the God dimension will be extended all the way down into our three dimensions, and we will call that heaven. Do you understand? We're not going anywhere. Heaven is coming here. The truth is it's here already, but it's been cut off from our experience because of our sin. Are you all following me? I know. Okay. It's like we still got like in our lacking of understanding that we have now, like how much more so once we understand. Exactly. Our experience of God is going to be opened to where we will have the capacity to experience all of God. Now, not all at one time because he's infinite and we're not. But we will we will have the ability to experience all of God. And I we won't have, you know, now whenever I talk about God, I have to use these crazy big words that are ridiculous <laughs> and just be like, bah! you know, what I have? And, and they're nowhere near. They just don't even come near the reality. Yes, we just use noises, right? We just revert to like, in, you know, infantile noises. Ah! You know, it's just because we just have no experience. We, there aren't words for things that exist in the fifth dimension. There just aren't words for them. Okay, we don't have words for them. And the truth is, as far from what I can tell, God, the God dimension is actually the seventh dimension, but we're not going to go there. <laughs> That's something that I, that I heard from an astrophysicist who is a Christian who has studied all this and he believes God exists in the seventh dimension of, of whatever. So <laughs> it's fascinating. Well, I don't believe that you're wrong. <laughs> it's just, just fascinating. Well, no, he's done the math and he's like, well, no, I actually think the angelic dimensions are dimensions like four through six. And then there's the <laughs> he's like, just because of things that I see described in the Bible that angels are capable of doing, like walking through walls and, and some of these other things that are totally... You can do all of them in the fourth, fifth, and sixth dimensions, but you can't do them in the seventh dimension. And it's just, it's just all stuff like that that he's like, these are the things that angels could do, so obviously, but they can't do this, and that's a seventh dimensional reality. Regardless, it is one of the, it is simultaneously the most boring and intensely fascinating uh, like thing I've ever listened to, because there were moments where I was just like, ah, and then there was moments where I'm going, I don't care about this part. Go back to talking about the other thing. But anyway, like the math. The math, I'm just like, I don't care about the math. I don't care. I don't care about the math. Just tell me about the truth. Okay. 
But he had to do the math to get to the truth. Right. <laughs> he just showed me the truth, and I don't need to know the math. <laughs> you know that the New Jerusalem is one fourth the size of the moon. That's brazy. Oh! That is brazy. Okay. Stop trying to make fetch happen. Oh my god. It's not going to happen. Okay, so. Follow me. So, when. The, okay, the process of salvation that we are walking through now. When, when the Apostle Paul says things like, working out our salvation with fear and trembling. Or I'm just I was just studying First Peter yesterday, and it says that there is a there is an inheritance kept for us in heaven that will a, a salvation that we are being protected for until the last day. Okay, that doesn't mean that you have a bank account in heaven that when you get there you're going to be able to, you'll have your heaven debit card. It's not like that. No, what it is is that. Our, the three dimensions that we exist in have not, we are not fully aware of them. And salvation is an opening of our awareness progressively to our full existence in all three dimensions. And it's an opening of our awareness progressively to what Jesus has already done in our spirit. It's, or it's what Jesus has already done in our spirit through his cross and resurrection and the infilling of the Holy Spirit. It's already happened in our spirit, and now it's leaking through, slowly through, into our soul. Which, guys, the way that we, we have influence in how fast our connection with the Holy Spirit in the third dimension is going to continue to make us light. It's gonna, we, we, can, we can open that hole wider on purpose, we can be intentional about increasing the the uh, the the what the influence of our spirit on our soul. We have that ability, okay. And there's a few the 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 church calls those things means of grace, prayer, the word of God. The avoidance of sinful behavior and influence. Okay? Worship. Speaking in tongues. These are all methods, and there's many, many more, of us cooperating with God's Holy Spirit influence on our spirit to infiltrate into our soul. It always, it's always going to touch our soul first, our mind, will, and emotions are the most affected, but then it's also is going to begin to leak through into our bodies. Now, there's this crazy guy, John G. Lake, that I should that uh, I would recommend all of you finding out about this man. You're who? Kind of crazy. What? You're kind of crazy. Very good and a little bit not. He was. He was. He is the one person in Christian history who has had a greater inbreaking of healing anointing than possibly Jesus did. Okay? I mean, I don't know. Close. Jesus said, what did he say? He said, 
The things I've been doing, you'll do, and what? Greater things. Okay? So I don't believe that it's blasphemous to say that he had a greater inbreaking of healing power than Jesus did. I think Jesus was like, go, go, go! <laughs> okay? I mean, I've there, there are stories of him going and cleaning out hospitals. Okay? He and his team would go to places in the world where the plague was breaking out and stop plagues. <laughs> Well, I mean, people were watching this going, we don't understand this. And he believed, he honestly believed that the reason, his understanding of salvation was this triune salvation where God is saving my spirit. My spirit is saved. It's done. The salvation of your spirit is complete. Salvation of your soul is not complete. That's what you're working out with fear and trembling. You're just continuing to press into and open up your mind and your and your will and your emotions to the influence of the Holy Spirit through your spirit by grace through faith. You're just continuing to press in and open up and pull open that hole that stands that that connects you to your God dimension self, okay? You're you're releasing influence from heaven into your mind, will, and emotions. That's what's happening. That is why the Apostle Paul says, be renewed in your mind. Have the renewed mind. What are you doing? You are welcoming the influence of the Holy Spirit on your mind, your will, and emotions. And you're doing that through the Word of God. The Apostle Paul calls that being washed with the water of the Word. Okay? You're doing that through prayer. You're doing that through meditation. You're doing that through... When I say meditation, I'm not talking about Eastern meditation. Um, no. This meditation biblically is taking portions of Scripture and thinking about them at the most, the tiniest little level, getting to the nittiest of grittiest. It's the kind of it's it's where you take a Bible idea from a Scripture and you begin you just pull that Scripture apart. You just tease out the tiniest little realities of the. In fact, the word in the Old Testament is to mutter. So kind of talk to yourself like, how does that work? I was working with a guy and he was helping me lay my the the new, a new floor in my living room, and I had never done it before. And so he was doing all the calculations in his head about how. And so when we would come up upon a part of the floor that was a little bit difficult to do, he would go, "Hold on," and he would think just like this for a minute, and he would be kind of muttering to himself, "But if we go like that, and then we go this way, that's." What biblical meditation looks like. It's about taking scripture and just chewing on it internally. I like to use the word marinate. Just to just to soak myself in this one scriptural idea. To go find all the places in the Bible that talk about this idea. One of the one of the things that I've heard, and I have not yet done this, and I really want to do this, because I've been asking God for an inbreaking of healing anointing is to take the scriptures where someone is being healed and just mumble them over and over in your mind and just wash just wash your mind with this with this this understanding of that God is a healing God and 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 to because what's going to happen is the lie that lives in your head that God does not heal is going to progressively be just worn down and washed away the apostle Paul said the weapons of our warfare are not carnal they're not physical they don't exist here. They exist in the angelic realm. 
the angelic spiritual realm. He said, and they are mighty for the breaking down of strongholds. When he says strongholds, he's talking about mental. He then actually refines it. It says vain imaginations would hold themselves up against the knowledge of God. Okay? They are lies that exist in your head and not just your head. You guys ever heard of the Mandela effect? Anyone? There is a thing that I just, I just, I knew of it before, but I had never heard it called the Mandela effect. I think it's a good name for it. There's a, there's thousands of people in the world that had this thought that they had heard at some point that Nelson Mandela had died in jail. They just had this, it's one of those, one of those facts that you just kind of categorize and put in the back of your mind and you don't think about, but then you hear a story about Nelson Mandela doing something and you're thinking, I thought he died. Okay, that thing where you have this, this fact that's logged away in your head that's not actually true, that's referred to as the Mandela effect based on this. And there's millions of them. There's millions of them. There's a bunch of things that we have kind of cataloged away in our mind that aren't really true, but they're there. And, and that's really true about the way that we think about God. So we are doing battle in the soulish realm of who we are against all of the little God Mandela effects, okay? Or the things that we thought we understood about God that aren't really true. Those, the Bible calls them vain imaginations. It's these, it's these dumb ideas that we had about God that actually come from Satan, but we've accepted them. Now I want you to think of it this way, Okay? We have, in between our physical dimension and the God dimension where our spirit is connected with God in perfect unity, okay, is the dimension, is the angelic dimension, our mind, our will, and our emotions. And anything we're asking God to do comes from there through the angelic dimension into our physical realm. Are you with me? Okay. There is clutter in our soulish dimension. Stuff. Okay, that blocks the influence of the God dimension on our physical world. Okay, there are things in the way. Now we saw this absolutely practically lived out for us in the book of Daniel. Where Daniel asks God, to give him a revelation of the future of the, of the Jewish people and nothing comes and he stays in a place of intercession and prayer for 21 days, fasting in a specific way that you guys should be very familiar with. That's where it comes from, folks. He was, he was Daniel and he's doing a Daniel fast. That's why we call it a Daniel fast. Okay, so he was fasting in that specific way, but he was fasting for a specific thing, and it was the breakthrough of revelation from heaven about this, because what he had done is he had read in the book of Isaiah that they were going to be in captivity for 70 years. He realized that 70 years is almost up. Father, what are you going to do about that? Father sends an answer immediately. Let's see, here's what happens. Daniel shows us what happens. He tells us all about it. After 21 days, Gabriel the archangel, bah, 
Josh shows up in front of Daniel, and he's like, ah! Because it's Gabriel the archangel, okay? The messenger of God. And he shows up in front of God, in front of Daniel, and Daniel's like, oh my gosh! And Gabriel's like, I'm sorry I'm late. Here's what happened. I was coming to you from the moment that you, I don't know that he was out of breath, but I just, you know, just picture it. From the moment you prayed, Daniel, God said, God sent me with the answer. From the, the moment you prayed, I was sent from the throne of God, from the God dimension, to you. He has to go through the angelic dimension to get to Daniel, correct? Are you with me? All right. He has to go through the angelic because Daniel's having a physical vision of the angel Gabriel. So Gabriel has to go through the angelic dimension to get to Daniel. Gabriel is coming to Daniel, but he is intercepted by the demonic authority that rules over the area of Persia. The prince of Persia. That's what he's called in the Bible. Okay? What he really is, is a demonic authority that is ruling over Persia, and Gabriel is not strong enough to overcome the battle that he's having in the angelic realms against the prince of Persia. The prince of Persia is more powerful than Gabriel at this point. Daniel keeps praying. Daniel says, Father, I'm asking you to show this to me. And the fight in the angelic dimension went on for 21 days until God sent Michael the archangel, who is the, is the angel over the nation of Israel. He is the protector of the Jewish people. And Michael shows up and holds back the prince of Persia so Gabriel can get through. 21 days later, Gabriel shows up on Daniel's door and says, that's what happened. Okay? There is a reason why there's a, a gap between us praying and things taking place. Because there is a dimension between us and God through which answers have to move. And it takes prayer and faith to move things around in the heavens to release God power through and into physical dimensionality. Are you with me in this? Wake up. Your prayers are doing something. Jesus constantly told us to continue to pray and not give up. Why did he do that? Because Jesus understood this process. Jesus was fully aware of all three dimensions in which he existed. He, now, he, Jesus had existed in the God dimension raw before he ever had an existence in the physical dimension. Now, we could go a lot further and talk about how God actually exists in all dimensions completely simultaneously at all times, because he does. He exists and has rulership in all dimensions, but he has given authority in some of those other dimensions to us. And we, in turn, gave authority to the enemy, which is where all this problem comes from. I'm out of time. There was, I will tell you about this one moment, and I may have told you about this before, but... When I was in Mexico and I was walking through that, that area and I was asking God to reestablish angelic authority over this region and the Holy Spirit said, no. And I said, why? And he said, because angels 
have not been given authority over regions. Humans have been given authority over regions. And demons usurping human authority over regions is a is is against the way that I set up the universe. Humans were meant to have authority in the angelic realm. There's a lot of scripture to back me up on that, including the one I just mentioned. All right. Father, I pray that you would give us understanding of the spiritual realities in which we exist. And Lord, that you would give us the, that you would help us to remember and help us to understand and help us to interact with our three-dimensionality. Lord, that we would, that we would push and that we would believe and that we would, and that we would study and that we would work and that we would reach and that we would cooperate with you to increase the influence of my resurrected spirit, which is in full contact, completely infused with your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that you would help us, even as I'm doing this right now, that you would give me knowledge and understanding of the ways in which my own soul is fighting against the influence of my spirit. Lord, show it to me. Teach me how to attack these places. Teach me how to open up my understanding of my existence and to release the influence of heaven on the face of the earth in Jesus' name.